I remember coming home at some random time in the middle of the night when I'd been out running around and all the darkness and evil that I could find to get into. And I pulled up in the driveway and saw that the lights were still on. And I was like, all right, she's still up. That means I don't have to sneak around and peep out the mini blinds all by myself. It'll be great. (laughs) Some of y'all laughed too hard at that. (laughs) And uh, so so I came up and I I opened the door and and I walked in and there my wife sits, you know, at the, on the couch, like right behind the coffee table. And I was like, hey, uh, oh. And she was sitting in there and she had that look on her face. Some of y'all have seen it. <laughs> it's, that, it's that look of utter determination that my wife gets on her face. Right? When something is about to drastically change. When she's got something that she's going to get done, and she means to get it done. And I mean right now. And I started just to shut the door and just go back. But I was like, no, i got to see what this is all about. And she started having these, like, red blotches that break out on her. And I was like, ah, I'm in for it now. And then I looked down, and she had a Bible there sitting on the coffee table. I'm like, oh, what in the world are we getting into now? I was like, hey, babe. And she said, I'm done. And I said, have you been working on a project? (laughs) She said, no, I'm done. She said, I'm done with this life. I'm done with all this shady stuff that we're always into. She said, I'm done being afraid. She said, I'm done, you know, going around and being involved in all this garbage. I'm done. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm done. And I was like, on the outside, I was like, okay, babe, let's talk about it. And on the, and on the inside, I was like, no! Because look, like I had just built my tower of sin just right up to where I wanted it to be. And I was no longer like looking up to the top of the tower of sin where I wanted it to be. But I had like been able to scale all the way up to the top where now I was standing at the top of my tower of sin looking down on everybody else. And she was trying to tear it down, Todd. And I didn't want her to tear it down because I wasn't done sinning yet because I was sinning just exactly as much as I wanted to be sinning. And here she is. Try to change things. And so on the inside, I was like, no. But on the outside, I was like, okay, baby. Let's talk about it. Let's see what we need to do. Maybe we can work it out. So I sat down beside her, and I closed the Bible, moved it out of the way. Because that's how the devil talks to you. Hey, maybe we can work this out. Especially when you get real determined that you're going to do right. And the devil's like, it's okay. We'll find a way. It's okay. You can do it just one more time. It'll be fine. So I was like, baby, what's going on? And then she got real emotional. She was like, I'm just over all this. I just can't take it anymore. And I took her by the hand. And before you know it, we was walking right back up that tower of sin. Right back to where we were. And I was like, look, baby, sin with me. Sin with me. And we did. And it was awful. And I remember another time, another time when I decided I was going to get my life right, right? And so I applied for this big computer job down in Nashville. Uh, You know, biggest job that I ever applied for in my life. 
lied on my resume a little bit. Lord, forgive me. Got straightened up enough to go to the interview. Went to the interview in my tie. You know, went down there and impressed them with my, you know, golly speech. And they offered me the job. And I was supposed to go. And this was our chance, right? We were going to leave all this stuff behind. We're going to escape from the community that we had been part of all of our lives. We're going to go down there and get a brand new start. Brand new start. Leave all this stuff behind. We're going to move down there. We're going to be down there. We're going to get on the right path. You know, we, I was going to get this big job making more money than I ever imagined that I would ever be able to make. You know, she was going to start a job down there. We're just going to build a new life for us and our family. You know, down in somewhere new. Somewhere new. Just get away. And so the night where, you know, before I was kind of supposed to go down there, she was like, we should celebrate. <laughs> I never made it to the job. They even called back to set a new start date. Yeah, I didn't go to that either. The point is that looking back through many times of our marriage and our life, there were times when one of us wanted to get it right. There were times when one of us, one of us just had had enough of the sin and the darkness and the evil and all the, the brokenness in the world, and we're just like, look, I've had enough. I want to get this right. I want to get this right. But the other one would drag them down over and over and over again. But, but, you know, to our credit, I guess, we refused to leave each other behind. And so there were times when one of us could have been free, but we refused to leave the other one still trapped in that sin and that darkness and that hell that we were existing in refused even if it meant sacrificing ourselves back into it it's the craziest thing and so there were so many times when we could have been free but we couldn't get it together because you see a house divided can't stand and, and a marriage divided can't truly be free and and people divided will never get to where god wants them and desires them to be and so it wasn't until something happened in our life the greatest tragedy we'd ever experienced floored us both at the same time to where we hit rock bottom at the same time to where we went into repentance before God together to where we went to the altar of God's grace together to where we went there seeking after him together so that we could experience him together so that he could call us out of that muck and that mire together so that we could get on that journey with him and know that he is the way and the truth and the life together. Can you say amen and just give God some praise at the Way Church this morning? And that brings us to where we are now. Still going after him. Unified, not always in thought, but always in purpose. Always in purpose. Because even though me and my beautiful wife may not have the same ideas on how to get there, we both want to go to the same place. Can you say amen? We may not have the same, may not have the same game plan drawn up, but we want the same outcome. We may not always, you know, have all the same pieces on the board, but we want the same end to come about. And that's to glorify God and to live for him and with him forever. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word today? We just do this just to honor God's word. It's in the book of Nehemiah, it says that when he pulled out God's word that everyone stood... 
Since they raised their hands to heaven, we won't get there yet. We're still working on that part, man. Still working on that. We didn't make that up ourselves. You ever see us lifting our hands and going crazy? It all comes from God's word. But here's what the Bible says in the book of Matthew in chapter 12. And my, my scripture starts in, yeah, hey, look at there, man. You guys, you guys, can, can y'all give a hand for our media team back there, man? They, these guys are spot on. I mean, they are spot on. They are an incredible team. I mean, I mean, I love these guys so much, and they do so much for our church and for the kingdom of God. And, you know, we had some technical, as you've seen, had some technical issues at the beginning of service there. But, look, they were on it. They were on it, and they got it fixed, man, because that's the kind of people we are. First service, I, my, my scripture actually starts in verse 22. But on first service, I wanted to start in verse 21, like, just because of what it says. And I just said I wanted to just to share that with you. It's not what I'm preaching on today, but it's just so vital that we know that. And they added it to the scripture, like, in between services without me asking. So, I mean, that's just the kind of people that we have serving with us here. So Matthew 12, in verse uh, 21, the Bible says this. The nations will put their hope in his name. In his name. We, we, don't, we don't put our hope in the government. We don't, we don't put our hope in, in economics and finance. We don't put our hope in people at all. We put our hope in his name. That name that's above every name. That the only name by which we may be saved, we, we put our faith in that name that God has risen up above everything else entirely in this world. It, because on the name of Jesus, all of our hope rests and all of our hope lives and exists. It's in the name of Jesus. It's never been in anything else. And any hope that we put in anything else is wasted and it's false and it's fake and it has no power and it can't hold any water. But every bit, every ounce of hope that you've put in that name of Jesus, it never fails. It never falls apart. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Your best interests are always on his mind and in his heart, and he made it real. He made it real that while you were still a sinner, he died for you. While you were still a sinner, he died for you. Anyway, now that's not what I'm preaching on, so Book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 22, the Bible says this, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man could both speak and see. And all the crowds were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man drives out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Knowing their thoughts, uh-oh, let me stop there for just a second. The Bible says that Jesus knew their thoughts. You know what that means? That means Jesus knows your thoughts. Let that settle on you for just a second. Every single one. All of them. Even the ones that you were like, where'd that thought come from? Surely I didn't make that up on my own. No, you did. It came from you. You're like, no, that was the devil. No, it wasn't. It was you. You know, the ones that you don't want anybody ever to know about? That thing that you just thought about just for half a second that you wouldn't ever really do, but you thought about it? That thing that you considered saying, considered doing? That thing that you hope nobody in the world, you're like, that's not me. I will never tell anybody that thought. Jesus knows what you thought. But here's what's amazing about that. He knows every thought you've ever thunked, and still he loves you. Still, he loves you. Still. 
Still. He loves you. Still. He knows what you thought about doing that day. He knows what you thought about saying the other day. He knows. And still he took them nails for you. Still he took that whip for you. Still he breathed that last breath for you so that he could say it is finished. That's not what I'm preaching on either, but just that's extra. That's free today. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom your son, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this is the reason they'll be your judges. If I, if I, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, though, this kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm here. I'm here. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder the house. Verse 30. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Lord, today we pray that you would just fill us with your Holy Spirit and surround us with your love. God, that your glory would shine in us and on us. God, that we can be that city on a hill. That we can be that light of the world that's in all this darkness. God, I pray that we can love like nobody else. That we can be like nobody else, God. That we can be your hands, your feet, your mouth, your heart here on this earth. God, that we can be unified as a church, as families, as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can you give him a shout of praise this morning? Come on, man. Because he's good. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The motto of the state of Kentucky is this, united we stand, divided we. It's never been more true than it is right now. Never. It's never been more true for our world, for our country, for our state, for our community, for our church, and for our family. United we stand. Divided we fall. If we can come together, we can overcome anything. But if we can't, we will be destroyed. We will be. But here's the thing. It doesn't start out there. It starts in here. It doesn't start with some thing out there that I can't control. It starts in my household with things I can control. Comes down to this. And this is going to mean more to some of you than it is to others. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things that I can and please God. Please give us the wisdom to know the difference. Because if we're out here trying to change the entire world without letting ourselves be changed, then we're going to fail epically. If we're trying to change our country without having our family be changed, and we've already failed because it doesn't start out there. It starts right here. And if you build a house with a shaky foundation, guess what's going to happen to it? Construction guy, what happens? It's going to fall. You build a house with a messed up foundation, it's not going to stand. It's not going to stand. And so that's why we as the people of God 
have to build our house on the foundation that is the rock that is Jesus Christ. And from there, we can put up walls. From there, we can put in insulation. From there, we can do the things that we need to do to make it a place that we can live in. But without the foundation that is God, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. Jesus has the compassion and the power to heal this man because of the unity that he has with the Father and the Spirit. They bring this man that's deaf and, and mute, or not, excuse me, not deaf. They bring this man that's blind and mute to Jesus because he's possessed by a demon. Now, now we can see those physical traits. We can see that he can't speak. We can, we can know that he can't see. But what we don't understand too often is that these are just the symptoms of a spiritual battle that's going on. These things have happened to him because he's possessed by a demon. And we would try to treat these surface-level ailments. We try to rub some salve on it. When really that infection goes way deeper than that. But see, Jesus has the compassion to want to heal this man and the power to heal this man because of his connection with the Father and with the Spirit. See, he wants to heal him because he loves like the Father and he has the power to heal him because he's one with the Spirit. Can you say amen? And so when those things come together in perfect unity, he's able to bring this, cast this demon out of this man and make it to where he can see so that he can see the glory of God and to make it to where he can speak so that he can proclaim the praises of God. Do you know that's really why we can see and why we can speak? We see so that we can gaze upon the glory of God. We speak so that we can sing the praises of God. Anything else is secondary to those purposes. Those purposes. You know, we exist to bring glory to God and to enjoy Him forever. The Westminster Lesser Catechism teaches us that, right? And it's one of my favorite things to say because it's so very true. So very true. If Jesus was out of line, out of unity with the Father and the Spirit, even for a second, He wouldn't have been able to do those things. If Jesus was out of unity, out of purpose with the Father and the Spirit, then He would have never gone to the cross. See, he accomplishes these things in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, if the kingdom of God is so reliant on unity, then why would we think that we can do things on our own? Why would we think that we can go out here alone and fight these battles alone and overcome these things alone when even God does it in perfect unity? And Jesus does this incredible miracle and heals this man. And the people that are around him are watching him. And, and, and they think to themselves, this could be it. This could be how we could come into unity with God. See, that's, what all, that's all that people want, really. See, everything that we do in life, everything that we encounter in life, ultimately, really, what we desire is to be unified with God. And, and, and all the sin that we've launched into, all the, 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 the worldly things that we've accomplished, all that money that we wanted to get in our bank account, really it was just so we could feel like we were connected to God. All the sin that we've done, all, all the, the drugs that we've done, and, and, and all the you know, affairs that we've been involved in, really we were trying to replace that connection with God because that's what satisfies us. But we're not willing to surrender ourselves at the cross of Christ and say, that's what I've needed, that's what I've always needed, that's all I've ever needed. And, and so we go around and try to fill this hole that's in our soul with all these different things. And so the people that were there in Jerusalem were the same way. They just wanted God. They didn't even know that they wanted God. Maybe they, they, they wanted God because that's what we want. That's what we've always wanted. Even if we didn't know, it's what we've always needed. Even if we didn't understand it, what we needed was God. But when they see this great miracle, they're like, here it is. This is what I've been searching for my whole life. This is what I've needed my whole life. Maybe this is the son of David. Maybe this is the Messiah, the Savior, the King that was promised. Maybe this is the one that will break our chains and set us free. 
Maybe this is the one that will draw us out of darkness and into his glorious light. Maybe this is the son of David. Maybe it's the son of David. And the church of the time was like, nope. What do you, what do you mean, no? Nope, he drives out demons by demons. That's not the son of David. That's not the promised Messiah. That's not God walking the earth. But let me tell you what's really happening. So what they said was, what they said out loud was, no, he drives out demons by the king of demons, Beelzebub. But what they were really saying was this, no! No, he's trying to tear down the tower that I've built for myself. Because you see, if Jesus is the way to God, then all of a sudden these high and falutin church folks are not the way to God. If the way to God is this broke carpenter from the wrong side of town, then all this religious system that they've built up in their culture, it means nothing. It means nothing. And those guys were just like I was way back in the day. They were like, but I've built this tower of pride and sin for myself, and I like it up here. And how dare you come and try to tear down the tower that I'm standing on looking down on everybody else. You see, the purpose of the Old Testament church at that time was not the same as God's purpose. You see, their purpose was not to draw people back to God and to reconcile them to the Father. Their purpose was to see themselves high and lifted up. To see themselves high and lifted up. Not to see Jesus high and lifted up. Not to see God glorified and to enjoy them, enjoy him, but to see themselves high and lifted up. And so while they may have, have said like in power, no, he's doing these things from evil and from the devil. What they were really saying is, I'm so scared I'm going to lose my spot. I'm going to lose my spot. I'm so scared. Because if anybody can get to heaven, then I'm not any better than anybody else. And I really need to be better than everybody else. It's a terrifying thing to lose your spot. <laughs> it's a terrifying thing to lose your spot. Especially when you've worked for years to get it. When, when you've built that tower of sin so high and struggled through all those different levels and you finally make it up to the top, man, you don't want to abandon it. Because, I mean, who's going to get to perch up there then? If it's not me. You know, Jesus makes it real clear what these Pharisees are about. You know, he talks about him all through Scripture, and he says this about him. He says, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. You're dead. You speak words like a praise to me, but your hearts are far from me. You try to look like on the outside that our purpose is the same, but our purpose is not the same. And that's what happened to them. And way too often, that's what happens to us in the church. Way too often, our purposes of the church don't line up with God's purpose for the church. They don't. You know, if, if, our, church, if our purpose for our church turns into how many people can we fit in these seats, if our purpose for our church turns into how many views can I get online, then my purpose doesn't line up with God's purpose. And even on the outside, if it may look like I'm having a lot of success, I might be fulfilling my purpose that I have, but I'm not fulfilling God's purpose that he has for me. 
And which one would you guys rather fill up? I mean, do you want to do what people want you to do? Or do you want to do what God wants you to do? Because, you know, people are trying to turn us and, and, and spin us and use us in a whole bunch of different ways. But I tell you this, Galatians 1.10 says, am I trying to please people or please God? Because if I'm trying to please people, I can't be a servant of Christ. And that's the way that it stands. And I'm just speaking from experience because I used to do that. You know, I was part of a church where all we cared about was how many people showed up and how many people watched online and how much money they gave. And I'm just being honest, that's all we cared about. And we did a good job. We got to where we were running 1,000 people in weekly attendance. Yay. No. Who cares? I don't care. And people tell me now, they're like, man, if you just changed X, Y, and Z, you could double your attendance. You could have so many people, you'll be running five services. I don't care. My purpose here is not to have a big church. My purpose here is to have a real church. Yeah, give God praise for that. My purpose is not to make attendees. My purpose is to make disciples. Can you say amen? I mean, that's it. Jesus could have had a whole bunch. You know how many he had? Eleven. Oh, I thought he had twelve. No, one of them was a devil. Eleven. And then one that came later that showed up late. So eventually he had twelve, yeah. Twelve. Twelve men changed the world. In a podunk backwater little town of Galilee. I've been to Galilee. You know what it looks like? Looks like Hart County. If you act right, maybe you'll get to go someday. <laughs> Look, I've been there. It looks, it looks like Hart County, Barron County. That's what it looks like. Looks like you're standing in Muffville or Glasgow. I mean, that's what it looks like there. There's rolling hills and lakes and creeks. It looks like here. It's, it's, a, it's a backwoods rural area. And, and the world got changed by 12 folks and it started there. What makes us think if we can't get unified in purpose with the kingdom of God, that the next great revival, the way that the world changes, can't start right here? Can you say amen? So that's what I want us to do. That's our purpose here. That's our purpose here. And looking around, I see most of you that I know, man, are, are, are here for that reason. For that reason. Because that's our purpose. To love God and to, no matter what it costs us, no matter what it costs us, to see disciples made. To see disciples made from the best of the best and the worst of the worst, like me. And to watch God use us then to do something incredible for his kingdom. But see, they didn't want that. They weren't unified with Christ. And so they called him a devil. They called him a sorcerer. They called him a demon. Knowing, his, knowing their thoughts. <laughs> I just, I can't get over that. Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, do something with this thing. Because <laughs> I have some bad ones sometimes. Uh, good thing that God doesn't let me punch people anymore. <laughs> Knowing their thoughts, he told them, every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. No city or house divided against itself will stand. You know, I, I just want to reiterate this fact. If the Father and the Son and the Spirit had been in any amount of disunity, the cross would have never happened. You understand? Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. I've heard preachers say, oh, Jesus wanted, it was his greatest desire. He wanted to fulfill, no. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, God, 
Father, if there be any other way that this cup could pass for me, like, God, seriously, Lord, I, I, if there's any other way, if there's any, if there's any other method, if there's any other method, maybe our methods could be different. But their purpose always remained the same. And when God said, no, son, there's no other way, he said, okay, then I'll do it. Because my purpose is your purpose. But I need you to understand if that purpose would have slipped even for a second. Because this disciple said, why don't you just save yourself? And Jesus said, don't you know that I have 12 legions of angels at my disposal? 144,000 angels will come and level this place. Level this place. Don't you know that I could turn this entire world to ashes with a word? Don't you know that I created this place and I could uncreate it? If I felt like saving myself, guess what? I would. And there's nothing that anybody could do about it. But my purpose is the same as his purpose. Not to save me, to save you. Not to save me, to save you. No kingdom can stand divided. Not the kingdom of heaven, certainly not the kingdom of darkness. If the devil and his demons were not unified in their cause, they couldn't even beat us. They couldn't. They couldn't beat us, much less try to stand against the kingdom of God. Trust me when I say that the devil and his demons have a unified response when they're coming after you. If you want to get a real clear picture of that, read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis and you will understand on a whole new level what's happening out there. Because they have a, a, a and, and I've talked about this before, they have a scouting guide that they have come up with. You know, in football, we have a scouting report. We make a scouting report about the other team. We see where their best players are. We see what their, their strengths are. We see what their weaknesses are. And we produce a scouting report, and we hand it out to our best players. Guess what? There's a scouting report out there that the enemy of God has determined on you. And he's handed it out to all his best players to try to get them to come after you so they know your strengths, they know your weaknesses, they know what play you're going to run, they know what call you're going to make. And they will use those to try to destroy you. You wonder why the enemy's so good at his game? He's been watching you. Can he know your thoughts? No, he cannot. But he can watch you, and he can see how you react. And from those, he can pretty much determine what you're going to do. There's a scouting report out there on you. And the kingdom of darkness is unified in trying to destroy you. John 10 says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy He's unified in that purpose. The entire kingdom of darkness, all of hell, all of this world is unified in that purpose to kill you, to, to, to steal from you, and to destroy everything that you are. Unified, coming after us. We face a unified front, and that's why we have to be a unified force in the body of Christ. And that's why we have to be a unified army that rises up, puts on the full armor of God, lifts up the sword of the Spirit, and is willing to go into battle as a unified force. Not me fighting on my own and wondering where all my partners went, but us as a force standing up side by side, holding the line, not letting them break through, and doing everything we can to reclaim the land, to reclaim the, the people that the enemy has tried to destroy by the power of his word, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our testimony. That's what we're called to do because that's who we're called to be. And that's why our, that's why our government's all messed up, man. It's so we've lost our purpose. You know, that's why our world, our country's all messed up because we've lost our purpose. And we've got these two sides that are at war. It used to be this. 
that the two different sides of the government were after the same purpose, but they just had a different idea about how to get there. But that's not the case anymore. We've lost our purpose. We've lost our purpose. Look, it says this. The, the, <laughs> just listen to this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's not our goal anymore, guys. These things are no longer held self-evident. These things are no longer held self-evident. We, we don't want people to experience life. We, we don't want people to, be, to live in freedom. We, we don't want people to, to be able to pursue happiness. All of a sudden, it's become my way or the highway. My ideals are nothing. And that's not what this was founded on. We've lost our purpose. If we can gain our purpose back, everything else will fall into line. If we can get our purpose back, that we understand that everybody here is made in God, God's image. You know, black, white, and all beautiful shades of brown in between made in God's image. If we can understand that every single person here should have the opportunity to experience life to the fullest and they should be able to do so in freedom without people telling them, you know, how they have to be and act and say and all those things, that they should be able to pursue happiness. But we also know this as the people of God, that true happiness doesn't come from the world. True happiness comes from the source of joy in the universe, and that is God himself. If we can get our purposes lined up, then this whole thing will fall right into place, right where it's supposed to be. But until then, until then, we will never arrive at the destination that God has called us to arrive at. Until our purposes are united. Because a city divided against itself cannot stand. And you all know that our enemies right now are salivating. Our enemies right now are salivating. You know, when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the devil sees a church that's, that's got dissension and, and has fallen apart, the demons start circling. And they start drooling because they know they're about to sink their fangs into it. And, you know, these other countries that, that, that we're enemies with in the world as far as the United States go, when they see a, a country that, that, that's just conquered itself by disunity and disloyalty and all these things, you know that our enemies are just salivating, just waiting to get their claws in and just to do everything that they can to bring it to its knees. But even more importantly than that right now, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. Because like I said, it doesn't start out there. It doesn't. It doesn't start out there. It starts right here. Now, I did what I could do to try to make the election go the way I wanted. I voted for who I thought was the right person to vote for. But that's all I can do. Because my Facebook posts and my Twitter tweets ain't doing no good for nobody. Unless I'm pointing them to Jesus. But I did what I thought I could do. You know what? Now I can't do nothing. Can't do anything to change it. But you know what I can change? Me. Not on my own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can change me. You know who else I can influence? My wife. My two sons and the other three kids we've been blessed with to have custody of. I got my five kids at home. I can, I can, I can influence them. But here's the thing you got to know what the purpose of your household is. you got to know what the purpose of your household is because if you don't know what the purpose of your household is, if everybody in your household doesn't know what the purpose of your household is, then you don't have a unified household. It's just true. 
If you don't know the purpose, and you might take for granted, everybody knows the purpose. Everybody knows what our purpose is. They don't. If you have not clearly defined it and intentionally communicated with it, then they don't know what the purpose of your household is. I know this because me and Angela set our family down yesterday. No, Friday. Friday night, we set our family down. I said, okay, what's the purpose of our household? And I'm not going to share with you some of the answers that we got this morning. They were wrong. And I guarantee you, if you did it newlywed game style, right? If you did it newlywed game style, like you, you separated the spouses out and took them in a different room and put the kids in a different room, and I was to sit down with you and give you a marker board and say, okay, write down on the board what the purpose. I was going to say something funny, but I'm not going to. <laughs> what the purpose of your family is. I will guarantee you that when you compare those marker boards later in the day, you're going to get all kinds of different answers. And when you have different answers, as far as what the purpose of your family is, you are in a house divided. Because we're called to go on a journey with our family. But if your family's not aligned in purpose and unified in purpose, then you'll never get to where God wants you to go. Or, even worse, you'll get there and be like, I've arrived! And you'll look around and you won't have anybody with you. To me, that's worse. To me, that's worse because I don't want to leave them behind. And God doesn't want me to leave them behind either. Your first ministry field is your family. Your first and most important ministry field is your family. I've seen way too many times when I've seen guys that are, that are, or girls that are called into ministry, called to serve the kingdom in some way, but they can't because their spouse is, is wanting to go the other way. And so they're not able to come together and accomplish the task that God has called them to because there's no unity in their household. Look, I promise you, if my wife wasn't on board with doing what, I, what I'm doing right now, I would not be doing it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Whatever the purpose of your household is, is what you're going to achieve. You hear me? The purpose of your household is what you will achieve. Now, if your household doesn't have a purpose, then you probably won't achieve much. Because you'll be, go, you'll be like herding cats, man. They'll be going all different directions. And you'll never get to where you're wanting to go or you'll get there alone. But, but otherwise, man, whatever you define as your purpose of your family, that's where you'll go. If, if, if your purpose of your family is family, like is connecting with your family and loving your family, you'll have some cool moments. You have some good moments, man, and you'll be dedicated to that, and that'll be good, and you'll experience those things, and, and, and that's great. That's great in a lot of ways, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be Christ-centered. That doesn't mean that they're going to be people of God. You might spend a whole bunch of time with your family here on the earth because you're a family-centered family, and then when you get into eternity, some of your family may not be there. And you'd be like, wow, I spent this much time with my family, but because we weren't a God-centered, Christ-centered family, now I spend eternity without them. And I, and I hate to say that, but it's true. You might be a family that's dedicated to education. And, and, and everything that you do, you want to just instill in your kids to have a good education. And that's good. Don't get me wrong. It's great. It's important for them. You know, you might, you know, make sure that they're doing their classes, have a, a homework tutoring group when you get home, bring in somebody else to teach them the thing that they don't know as well, do an ACT prep course and a, you know, whatever else that you do for people. 
and, and focus on the education. And they may achieve a PhD, and that's great. That's great. But you get what you focus on. And, and besides that, their morals may have gone out the window. You know? I mean, they may have the more education you've ever seen in your life. They may be a terrible person. I mean, did you, and you got what you wanted because you got what you focused on. You know, I've seen families in, in my life right now that are dedicated to sports. It's their whole life. You know, they, they, I see, you know, videos of them. And they're out, you know, doing layups and, and like lifting weights and uh, like all the time. And, and, and that takes precedence over everything else in their life. And they'll probably produce some really good athletes out of that. And that's great. That's great. But if you're not focusing on God, then you're not doing it right. Just saying. If you want the things of God, if you want your family to be Christ-centered, then you have to actively allow Christ into the center of your life. Of your life. Now, I use this example first service. If you want to be fit, right? If you want to be fit... You have to get together as a family and make the decision to be fit, and you can accomplish that. You have to come together and, like, get the Oreos as a family and bring them to the altar of grace. You can leave them right here, by the way. Just, we'll trade them for grace. If you got Reese Cups in your kids' Halloween, just bring them on in. <laughs> bring them to our associate pastor. And he'll bless them, take care of them. It's fine. If you want to be fit, there's going to be some things you're going to have to give up. If you want to be fit, there's a, a discipline you're going to have to maintain. And you're not just going to be able to do that one day a week. Oh, it's going to have to become a lifestyle for you. It's going to have to be what you eat. It's going to be what you drink. It's going to be after what, you, what you do throughout the day. Not just Sunday, every day. Every day. Every day. Maybe one cheat day. You know who knows you better than anybody else in your life? Besides Jesus? The people you live with in your house. They do. They know what's real. They see what's really going on. You can't fake them out. And so if you want to have a house that are disciples and makes disciples, it has to be your reality. You can't fake it on the outside. You can't fake it. You have to do it. You have to live it. You see, the purpose of my household is to make disciples. And that's clear to everybody in my household. Now it wasn't, but it is now. But the, the purpose of my household is to make disciples. It said me and my wife would sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. And then that we, in turn, would sharpen our children in the same way. Our purpose is to make disciples. Do we do other things? Sure we do. Are the other things the focus and purpose of our household? No, they are not. Do I want my kids to have a good education? Yes. Do I want my kid to excel in, excel in sports? Yes. Do I want to enjoy my family and go do things and, and experience them? Yes. Do I want to be fit to a lesser degree? Sort of. Do I want those things? Yes. Are they the purpose of my family? No. No. The purpose of my family is to make disciples. But disciples are not made on accident. They're not made on accident. You don't just fall into discipleship one day. You don't like walk in and like trip over a crack and be like, 
the wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's all that matters to me now. Like you don't get caught in a radiation storm and turn into like the disciple Hulk and start, you know, whatever. You know, you don't get bit by a spider that fell in the communion wine and all of a sudden be like, the blood of, I'm, I'm disciple man and the blood of Christ flows through my veins. It doesn't happen like that. The Bible says that we're like a lump of clay. I told you they're good. I told you they're good. Golly. Y'all made me lose my spot. <laughs> the, the Bible says that we're like a lump of clay. Listen, that lump of clay doesn't accidentally turn into a pot. That lump of clay doesn't oh, does, does like accidentally turn into like a beautiful sculpture. It has to have some pressure applied to it in just the right places. It has to be spun around at just the right speed. You know, the Bible says, I'm the clay, and God, you're the potter, and you mold me and shape me into what you would have me to be. It doesn't happen by accident. It's intentional, and there's a purpose behind it. You know, and in Proverbs 27, the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, just like one man, one life sharpens another. It's done on purpose. You have to sharpen it. It doesn't happen by accident. We don't have a sharp sword just because it fell that way. We have one because we made it that way, because that was our purpose. That was our purpose. It was our purpose. And if we want our family to not be divided, if we want our family to stand strong no matter what comes our way, then we have to be intentional about aligning that purpose, about finding out what that purpose is and getting it all lined up exactly the way that God would have it to be. Can you say amen? And they said, you do these things by the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus said, I do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. And if I do these things by the power of the Spirit, that means that the kingdom of God is here. Is here. And the kingdom of God is here inside each and every one of you that has proclaimed Jesus as your Savior. But it doesn't have to stop with you. You can take what God has given you and then use that to, to influence the people in your circle. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, your siblings, man, the people around you until your family's purpose is aligned until your family's purpose is unified, until the house that you live in is built on a foundation that is Jesus Christ, until the house you live in has walls that are raised on the, on the foundation or on the framing of his word, that means you can have a house that is filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Can you say amen? You can have that. You can do that. But it starts here. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? Is it to please men? Is it to be famous or rich or important? Or is it to serve God? Is it surrender, forgiveness, praise, worship, power, love? Like Pastor Brent said, man, they're going to know you. You're his disciples. 
by how much scripture you can quote. What? No? They're going to know you're his disciples by how high you lift your hands while Jared's playing the guitar. No? By your Christian t-shirt. By playing Way FM on your radio. I know. By your Facebook statuses. If they were looking for that to see if you're the people of God, then I guess we're not. They'll know you're his disciples by the way that you love. By the way that you love. And you know what? Love don't always look the same. The greatest act of love that ever took place in all of existence was bloody and ugly and it hurt and it was terrible. People looked away from it and nobody wanted to be part of it. And it was the greatest act of love that ever took place or will ever take place. They're going to know you're his disciples by how you love. And sometimes that love is tough. Sometimes it's gentle. All the time it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things in my family that I can. And in myself that I can. And Lord, if we ever needed anything, God grant us the wisdom to know the difference. Come on, brother. In verse 30, Jesus says this, anyone that's not with me is against me. Anyone that doesn't gather with me scatters. There is no neutral spot in this war between light and darkness. There's no Switzerland in this battle between good and evil. There's nobody that can say, I'm not in it. Because the fence belongs to the devil. The middle ground is the kingdom of darkness. There is no middle ground. There's no gray area here. Either you're a child of the living God or you're not. You know, there's really only two types of people in the world. And we try to designate it into all kind of others. What country are you from? What, what economic level are you from? What race are you? What job do you have? We try to divide it up into all kind of different ways. No. You're either born again under the blood of Jesus Christ or you're not. Or you're not. But here's the thing that we don't realize way too often. The ones that are not... They're not our enemy. They're not our enemy. They're actually what we're fighting for. They're what we're fighting for. And I know sometimes we have to fight against them in indirect ways, but they're not our enemy. They're what we're they're what we are fighting for. I've already been one. 
Look, for, for me to die is gain because I get to be with my Savior. But to live is Christ. But it's for them. The world paints us as enemies. We're not enemies. I'm not against people that are still living in sin. I hurt for people that are still living in sin, Mike. My heart is broken for them because God's heart is broken for them. And do they do some stupid things? Of course they do. Do they make bad decisions? Lord knows I did, still do. My heart hurts for them. We don't do battle against flesh and blood. We wage war against dark powers in high places. We're not here to fight amongst ourselves as human beings. We're here to stand by the cross of Jesus Christ and by the power of His love wage war against the darkness. But if we're going to be effective soldiers in this army, it has to start here. My purpose has to be unified with His purpose. And then my family's purpose has to be unified with His purpose. If I'm going to be effective at all in the kingdom of God, then we have to wave that banner. We have to wave that banner. And a house that is built on this right here, from top to bottom and all throughout, will stand no matter what comes our way.